Virtuous Men, a podcast devoted to sharing the lives of men of history. Welcome to Loose and Unscripted. In this episode, we'll be talking about wisdom for man, discussing a famous poem, and talking about our plans for the future. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Loose and Unscripted. I'm Scott. I'm Jamie. And we are the creators of Virtuous Men. So for this portion of the episode, we're going to be talking about wisdom that you and I have both learned separately at different courses in our lives. Wisdom. Yes. Should be a very interesting topic of conversation. Indeed, indeed. So I was, as we were preparing to do this particular portion, I was very curious to hear your bits of wisdom (laughs) that you've learned. Or just one, if you haven't learned anything else in life. Yeah, I just have one. Oh, wow. That's a pretty... (laughs) Well, need to get out so more. Am I, am I going first? Yeah, you're going first. Okay. So I was thinking about this, and I wanted it to be something simple, something that everybody could kind of relate to. And so here it is. My piece of wisdom is to not be afraid to say you don't know. Hmm. And what I mean by that is we all have this idea that we have to have this quick, well-thought-out answer for everything. And it's just, it's just not realistic. You know, nobody's an expert at everything. Nobody knows everything about every subject. And, you know, especially in the workplace, I think when I, I think when I graduated college, I was afraid when I got my first job to say, I don't know, Hmm. but that's how you learn. Cause if, you know, if someone asks you to do something and they say, Hey, I want you to do this. uh, And you say, okay, sure. I know how to do that, but you don't know how to do it. How are you going to learn how to do it? That's a very good point. I The minute you were started talking about that, I instantly thought of what it was like to be in the workplace. And especially when you're first starting out and somebody explains something to you and you get it right away and then they keep talking about it and you're so tempted to say, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. That's instantly what I thought of when you said that. Right. And so I kind of thought of two things to go along with this. So, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. It sounds simple, but it's powerful. If you... If you spit out a quick answer that's rubbish, two things. You're you're likely to make yourself look like an idiot. Yes. But also, if that person allows you to get away with that, you'll be much less likely to look into it to see what the actual answer is, and you'll believe whatever answer you gave, which may not be true. Yeah. So that's the danger of it. Another thing is, you know, if you're in a leadership position, say you're say you're a leader in a company or in a group, in a team, whatever, and a situation comes up and you don't know what to do, if you just kind of make it up, maybe no one wants to question you because you're the leader. And you might be stifling someone's creativity, someone who has a really novel idea of how to solve that problem just because you're the leader and you gave an answer and everyone's now afraid because, well, that doesn't make sense to me, but maybe it's because I don't understand because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not the leader, I'm not the superior or whatever. Right. So I think my challenge for the listener is, you know, this week, put yourself in a situation where you can say, I don't know, and use those words, I don't know, and see what happens. You know, you probably don't want to do it in an interview, but yes, any other situation, you know, even with your kids, even, I mean, kids, my gosh, my, my five-year-old asks a lot of questions and sometimes I don't know the answer. 
And it can be a little intimidating to say, I don't know to your kid, because you're supposed to have the answers. Right. You're but, dad. You're all knowing. You're, right. you're the family oracle. But I think we can we can teach lessons to our kids, too, by saying, I don't know. Let's go find out together. And in that, you don't just spite off what you might, what you think it might be. You encourage them to realize and recognize when they don't know and give them the tools and the skill to go and find the answer themselves. Yeah, that's a really good point, too, is that you're you're taking this thing that you feel like you should know the answer to, and you're turning it into a learning experience. Right. And revealing in that the joy of learning, because I think a lot of people don't like to learn, or they assume that they don't have to because they have a smartphone <laughs> that has access to the, to the entire some knowledge of the of history. Right. And I, I love what you said there. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a lesson. It's a journey for a kid. They're never going to, they're very rarely going to remember something if you just tell it to them. But if you give them a lesson and they go on a journey to find the answer, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember, oh, I didn't know. And then I did this and I did some research and we did maybe a little experiment to say, oh yeah, that is how it works. They'll remember that. They're not going to remember it if you just give them a quick, easy answer that may or may not be true. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, ultimately what this comes back to is humility because yeah. it takes humility to admit that you don't know and to come off like a fool, you know, because right. that's one thing I feel like men in particular want to avoid at all costs is appearing like a fool to other people, yeah. especially his peers or to people in authority, because that's a very vulnerable position to be in. But it's the humble route and humility is ultimately the better way. That's right. There you go. Good wisdom. There you go. Wisdom. I am truly a man now. The wisdom of saying, I don't know. All right, Scott. So what is your word of wisdom? So the thing that I have most learned in life is, um, well, nothing really. (laughs) (laughs) This explains so much. I know. Whoa, that got deep. (laughs) So I guess for me, this is something that's kind of happened fairly recently in my life where, um, I'm kind of thinking about truths or things that are inspiring to me or basic bits of wisdom that I've learned. And for some reason, they come to me in two word sentences, which sounds a little strange, but I just think of something like this is a basic truth that you can sum up in two words. And I think of those randomly and they just come to me unexpectedly sometimes. And I think I have to write this down. Like this is part of a creed that I can build my life around that's grounded in something true and meaningful. And I just have seven of those right now, so I'll just read them off. And these have all come to me, I'd say, probably in the last three or four years. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'll just read read them off to you. They're not in any particular order, but these are just ones that I've learned that have really inspired me. So number one, chase excellence. Number two, suffer well. Number three, don't assume. Number four, know history. Number five, be valuable. Number six, honor women. Number seven, defend truth. Wow, you need, you need to put these on a t-shirt. Yeah, or a coffee mug, right? I like that. At the very bottom, so as I drink, I can just see the virtue at the bottom <laughs> of the mug there. You need to make seven coffee mugs yeah. and then... <laughs> so, number one, chase excellence. I think that you can just apply that generally to every aspect of your life. With whatever task you're doing, whatever role you've been given, chase excellence in that and destroy anything that could get in the way of that, you know? Yeah, and excellence can come in anything. 
It doesn't have to be... Yeah. You don't have to be an exec at Microsoft, you know. It can be anything at all. Right, exactly. Like, it goes back to that great line from The Last Samurai about devoting themselves to the perfection of whatever they pursue. To me, that's what that is. So it's chasing excellence in every aspect of your life, no matter how small. Like, whether it's a position at work or the method by which you brush your teeth <laughs> is be excellent at it. And, like, number two, this is one that I'm kind of learning recently as I've kind of confronted my own issues in life is suffering well. The whole idea of suffering in general is so off-putting to people. We live in a society that tries to limit the amount of suffering as much as possible. But I feel like as you grow older and you start to realize what life is, life is suffering. And the word suffering is a very extreme word. It conjures up very extreme images in your head. But suffering can be very subtle and it can be internal. So when I'm thinking of the idea of suffering well, I think allow yourself to suffer and allow yourself to learn from that suffering. That's kind of what I, that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah. It's, it's kind of allowing yourself to sit in that suffering, whatever it may be, whether it's grief, you know, loss, um, pain, it can always teach us something. I think we grow the most when we're going through those hard times. Mm -hmm. And if we, there's so many things that everything today is meant to distract us from that. And so it's really hard to suffer well, I would say, today, because there are so many distractions. So many right. things vying for our time, vying to take us away and distract us from our problems. But the danger in that is you never learn from your challenges when you, when you always distract yourself from them. Yeah, number three, this is probably the oldest one on the list. I've had this one in my head for a while, is don't assume and that is basically what it is, is don't make assumptions, plain and simple. Because most of the time your assumptions about anything are going to be wrong. And you can make educated guesses. And there are some assumptions that are safer to make. But generally, don't make assumptions. It's just not, it's not right. Yeah, and I think, I go back, I, I think of my my job when you say that. I mean, we, we make assumptions all day long on how things are going to behave, how materials are going to behave. But making assumptions on people is very different than that. In assuming people's motives, assuming why someone is where they are in life, very, very dangerous to do. Absolutely. And that that's the sort of thing that can undermine your family and your friends and your relationships, the things that matter most to you. Making false assumptions about someone in your family or your friends, that can do severe damage. Assuming what people believe, not so much who they are, but what they believe that's very dangerous as well. Right, and why they believe it. Right, especially in this politically charged climate that we're in, that's particularly dangerous to do. Yeah, yeah. they, they believe this because they're evil. Right, <laughs> or, I saw, uh... or I saw this thing in their house, or they were wearing that particular shirt or something like that, and then you suddenly have developed your entire view of this person based on that, and it's all based on assumptions. Yeah. So, yeah, don't assume. Don't do that. It's not a good idea. Number four, this is kind of a more, this one has come to me as we've done this project is knowing history. Yes, so important. And that's something that I have learned, I think throughout the course of this project really, has really opened my eyes to how important it is to know history. Indeed. It's extremely important to know that stuff because I think ultimately at the end of the day, like in the book of Ecclesiastes, what is the refrain throughout that book is nothing is new under the sun. 
Yep. And we, in our time, it's very easy to look at the things going on around us and think that <laughs> humankind has never experienced anything like what we're going through. Yeah. But then as you start to learn history, you learn this is nothing new, what we're dealing with. The word that's been overused maybe the most in the past two, three years, unprecedented. Yes, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. So nothing. there's nothing new under the sun, people. So it's important to know that. And it's a great way to kind of just keep your head about you because it's very easy to get terrified and scared of everything going on around you. But when you realize that this has happened before and people have overcome these things, whether as an individual or as a culture, it can give you some sense of optimism about the future. So number five, be valuable. This one kind of came to me as I was thinking about how employers are having a really tough time hiring good people and things like that. And I think what that applies to is the way that you apply yourself to whatever job you're in, regardless of how you feel about that job. So if you show to your employer that you are a valuable person, that you contribute a lot to that job, then they're going to see that and they're going to notice that. And I've noticed that for my own life as I have applied myself to my various jobs. And I'm not perfect at it. I'm not saying that I'm some perfect employee. But when you apply yourself to the job and you make yourself available and valuable to the people that you're working for, that will help you in so many areas of life, not just work, but I think it especially applies to work. Yeah, I think of uh, someone I listen to who we've featured on the Instagram page, Dave Ramsey. Um, a lot of people call in and kind of ask questions like, hey, how should I go about asking my employer for a raise, a promotion? And he always goes back to the same thing. Show them how valuable you are. Don't just go in and say, hey, I want a, this much of a raise. Explain what you've done for the company, why you're irreplaceable. You know, what value do you bring that if they lost you tomorrow, it would be a real blow to the company. Start with that. Exactly. The raise, the promotion, and if you have a good boss, which if you don't, then leave. But if you do, the raise and the promotion will take care of itself. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it really speaks to this whole idea of living in a time where we can make demands and expect those demands to be met in regards to how we're treated at work, how much money we make and everything like that. It's this whole sense of entitlement that you're I'm somehow entitled to make those claims when I've done nothing to earn them. Yeah. It takes the whole idea of earning that completely out of the equation. The whole idea of earning something is becoming more and more lost in our culture. So that's where the whole bit of wisdom of being valuable to the people you're working for really comes through for me at least. So number six is honor women, which I think that that just goes without saying as a man, that's what you have to do. It's one of the core essential truths of even being a man. If you don't do that, then you're not a man, pure and simple. That's right. Well, what is honoring women? I think basically treating them like women and not treating them as some sort of extension of men, because that's another thing that's going on in our society, is this whole idea that men and women are basically the same. So we don't really have to treat each other any differently. And that's mm -hmm. just not true. And our society is hell-bent on destroying those differences. And for the most part, it has succeeded. And are men and women better off now? Look around you. Do you think that things are better between men and women now? I don't think so. No. Yeah, that's, that's part of why we started this project of Virtuous Man. Was, you know, calling man to be man. And, and calling out the true differences between men and women. Because they do exist. They are real. 
And it's no secret that a lot of men in our society are looking at porn or are addicted to porn. And that is the death rattle for honoring women. That does not teach you a thing about honoring women at all. And it well, primarily it teaches it, you the opposite. It primarily does that by teaching you to not see women as human beings. Yeah. So I think that's ultimately where honoring women starts is they're not these pretty objects. They're not these things that are meant for my genital pleasure and my viewing pleasure. They're human beings like me, but also different from me. Yeah, and they, they serve a very, very specific and needed purpose in society. And, and without women, without the, the nurturing care of women, the, the motherly instincts of women, the, the fragile beauty of women, the world is not the same. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think of, I think it's very telling, you know, all of the, the major, like the world wars, I think of the world wars and um, the carnage that happens when men go to war. And it's always when women enter that hellscape that, you know, love and beauty can come from that horrible situation. You think of, you know, the stories of the, the nurses in World War Two tending to, to, to uh, injured soldiers. I think of the lady, I forget her name, but she's, she was a nurse in the Civil War. She went on to find the Red Cross. Um, so it's women with that nurturing touch and that care that they give can really bring light to a lot of darkness that, that I think men go through. So they're so needed. All right, last one. Yeah, and finally, number seven is defending truth, which I think is one of the foundational aspects of living a virtuous life whether you're a man or a woman. Because there, if there is one thing that is most under assault in society today, it's truth. And a lot of that comes from the whole idea of, it's not, there's no such thing as truth. There's just your truth and my <laughs> truth. There's no such thing as ultimate truth or a single reality. As, you know, as it's kind of whatever you make of it. As Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? Exactly. So, and I feel like this is one of those two word phrases of wisdom that, is going to require a lot of us in the days to come is defending truth because it is under assault like nothing else in this society and we got to stand up and fight for it and that's going to require sacrifice. So, and I'm speaking just as much for me as for you and the audience is that we need to stand up and defend the truth like nothing else. Yeah, because without truth, what do you have? Right. And we live in the society of placing the individual above the group and it all comes down to, oh, it's just truth is what I make of it. It's my reality. It's my truth. How are we doing as a society with that, with that idea? Yeah, the, the term my truth, it might be the most narcissistic thing you can possibly say. My truth. You right. don't have a truth. There is no such thing as your truth. No. There's the, the truth and your choice whether to believe it or not. That's it. If you don't believe in truth, I challenge you to go up on your roof and try to fly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're not encouraging that per se, but you know. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are we doing next? A little Kipling? Yes, indeed. All right, this is a poem from Rudyard Kipling, an English novelist and poet born in 1865. He was actually uh, 30 when he wrote this poem, and it was actually originally published uh, as fatherly advice for his son. 
it has a very interesting legacy, I think, because yeah. a, a lot of things that you see for men include a portion of that poem. So it it's very definitive in defining manly virtue. Right. And it's, it's perfect for our project. We've been talking about doing this for a while because it, it covers a lot of virtues that we've covered on this project, like honesty, humility, determination, stoicism. Yeah. So he laid it out better than anyone before or since, in my opinion. That's right. All right, here we go. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose, and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Rudyard Kipling, 1895 So the first line that really stands out to me is, uh, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. And this for me is, it's self-confidence tempered with humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the self-belief that, you know, even when criticism comes, you trust that you've done your due diligence, but also that there's a chance that you could be partially wrong as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, when you're in a situation where you're the only one that thinks differently and you're thinking, yeah, I, maybe I'm wrong. Right. Even if you know in your heart that you're right. Right. And we, you know, we, I think we should give an alliance for doubting for sure. And, and criticism of others because we're not always right. And I think when we, we neglect that or don't even, maybe even don't allow it, don't allow criticism and doubting of our ideas or what we say, that can be dangerous because then we get stuck in this echo chamber and, and we're not open to new ideas. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good line. And I just love the way he says it. You trust yourself when when all men doubt you, when everyone's saying you're wrong, but also make allowance for their doubting. And that allowance is a good word because he doesn't say just, just let it all in, but give an allowance. And when, you know what's an allowance? It's a set amount. Mm-hmm. Don't let it all in. Don't listen to all the noise, mm-hmm. but choose certain people that you trust to criticize you yeah. and after that ignore the rest yeah 
I know, well, thinking of this right here, the first person that came to mind was one of your heroes, Sir Winston Churchill. Yes. Yeah, just thinking about Churchill and how I remember from your episode you talked about, I think it was later in life, or maybe he did this all throughout his life, maybe you can correct me, where he would listen to both sides, even though he kind of had a good idea of what he felt about a situation. Yeah. But he would he would be willing to listen, even if the people he's listening to are not correct. He was still willing to hear them out. And then in doing that, maybe he would learn something that would help him to change his mind. But he seemed to have a good idea of what was true and what was not. Yeah, I think one of the quotes he he's famous for, of, of his many famous quotes, he when he became prime minister, he had his cabinet. You know, they form their cabinet and they're able to choose whoever they want. And most people just surround themselves with yes men. He surrounded himself with rivals, rivals who were not confident of his ability to lead the country in wartime. And that was important because when he thought they should definitely do this thing, he always had that counter example, that that counter uh, opinion of, no, we should do this and here's why. And he was able to, to temper himself with that. So the next couple of lines really stand out to me, and I'll, I'll skip a little bit, but this is kind of all in theme. There's, there's kind of a break in the poem where he talks about other things, but it's all kind of connected to what I'm talking about. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss... I think that final line right there is the one that really stands out to me in this whole poem, surprisingly, is about never breathing a word about your loss and how there is so much of the opposite of that in the world today where people are so quick to talk about how oppressed they are, how much they're suffering or how much they deserve empathy or or whatnot. And it's, it's kind of like victimhood. We're, right, exactly. And just talking about bearing your losses with stoicism and dignity. That's just what I love about that, especially in the beginning there about making dream, having dreams, but not making dreams the goal. Because like another one who comes to mind is Shackleton, who we've done, how he repeatedly had his dreams snatched from him. And yet he still went on to do great things. And you look at his life and if you looked at his life and if he looked at his life, he probably would have seen himself as a failure. And yet we look at him now as one of the greatest men that ever lived. And yet his life is peppered with failures and having and his dreams being taken from him. And yet look at what he did and look at the way that we talk about him now. Like we don't look at him and go, oh man, what a failure. No, we look at him and go, oh my gosh, I want to be that. <laughs> well, it's amazing that someone whose greatest failure is the reason why they're known. And it's not for a bad reason. It's for what he made of the failure. Right. right. And I think that that's what these lines and if are really getting at is have dreams, pursue those dreams and take risks. And if the risk doesn't pay off, dust yourself off, get back up and keep moving. Right. And don't, and don't fret. Don't talk about it. Don't try to force other people to empathize with you or feel sorry for you. You know, another person I think of, of a post that you did was Chadwick Boseman. Mm, yeah. When you think about never breathing a word about your loss, never, you know, he, he went on knewing he was, terminally ill right and and yeah. didn't seek for years didn't seek uh empathy from people he just went about his business yeah it's a powerful example yeah especially something like an illness because naturally if you tell people you're sick and you're suffering people will naturally be drawn to that and to empathize with you and to pity you or 
feel sorry for you, but people that just have the ability to not talk about those things that you think, why would they not talk about it? Oh my gosh, like, <laughs> I can't believe that they were suffering so much. And yet you look at it and go, wow, that's actually very inspiring that they didn't allow that to become their life. Right. And it's, I don't think it's saying, you know, ne never talk about when you're struggling with something. It's more don't do it for the pity that you're going to receive. You know, if you're struggling with something, for sure, tell people. But I think for him, it was he wanted to get on with the life he still had. He didn't want his terminal illness to define the rest of his life. So we go down to the last paragraph of the poem. This one really sticks out to me. If all men count with you, but none too much. And I love that because um, there's a guy I listen to. He's a, a therapist called John Deloney. He's on the Ramsey Network. He has a podcast and everything. And one thing he really talks about a lot is not, not giving anyone too much power over you and not giving a ton of people the ability to hurt you. And what that means is, you know, obviously your wife would be a person who you give permission to hurt you. You know, maybe your best friend, you give them permission to, to say hard things to you, to call you out when you need to be called out, um, to keep you in check, keep you from going off the rails. But everyone else, they don't have permission to hurt you. And even when they say things that may hurt your feelings, it's your decision. It's, it's up to you to allow that to hurt you or not. And that's, that's like one of his main teachings and one, one of the things he, t he talks about a lot in his podcast and his books. And that, that has always really stuck with me since I first heard him say that when I started listening to him. Um, and one, another thing that he points out is, you know, a lot of the time we, as parents, I'm a, you know, I'm a parent, um, we let our kids hurt us. Hmm. And if you really think about it, that's ridiculous because kids are kids. They say ridiculous things that they don't mean. They don't even understand. You know, I, your your five-year-old could come up and say, I hate you. They don't really know what they mean by that. <laughs> they have no idea. And for us as a parent, for you to take them seriously and allow that to affect you deeply, it's just silly. And yeah. so I think it's also doing the kid a disservice to allow them that power because they, they're a kid. Let them be a kid. Yeah, don't treat them like little adults. Right. You should have maybe three people, three to five people in your life who you give permission to hurt you. And that's it. So I guess as a challenge to the listener, how many people do you have? Do you allow everyone to hurt you? Everyone you come across at work, at church, at uh, anywhere you go in the grocery store line, if someone cuts in line, do you allow that to ruin your day? Or do you say, nope? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And this line really speaks to what I've had to confront in my own life is um, this whole idea, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's one of those things that sounds good, <laughs> but no, when you are really being honest about it, words do hurt, especially from people who who don't love you, who maybe hate you or don't like you at all. You know, their words can be really hard to bear. At least for me, I don't know what it's like for you, but I know some people are more hurt by when loved ones do that, but I've never had that much from loved ones because I know that they love me. So even though they say things that are hurtful, it's easier for me to bounce back from that. But from people that don't like you at all and maybe hate you, for me personally, that is a lot harder to get over. But then it all goes back to, well, what kind of power are you giving them over your life? And when you think about it, this person doesn't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't define me. They don't get that privilege. They don't get that honor. 
So, yeah, that, I've definitely had to deal with a lot of that particular thing that that, that line is talking about in these past few years of my own life. So it's been it's been very challenging, but also very re- rewarding because often those things will come back to me in my mind. And I think exactly what that line says. Well, how much power are you going to give that person? Yep, It's up to you. All right. You got one more? Yeah, just the wrap up line for it, I think. I, I feel like the final line is or the the final few lines are. The sort of things that I think a lot of men really need older men to tell them, like people who are their mentors or their fathers. In the poem, he's wrapped up everything, and he kind of wraps it up with these lines. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. It's just very powerful stuff when you think about it, is someone telling you, if you do these things, if you live a virtuous life, you will truly be a man. And I don't know if it's if it's straight from that reference, but I, when he says yours is the earth and everything in it, is that a reference from, I believe it's Psalm 89, when it says the heavens is yours and everything in it? Yeah. I the th- heaven and, the yeah. heavens and the earth. I know. Every time I've read that, I've wondered the same thing, if it's come from that portion of scripture or if he just kind of made it up. I don't know. Right. It, it has a ring of scripture to it. Though. It does. It does. Yeah. Well, it also reminds me too in Proverbs, in the few first books of Proverbs, it's written as if a, a father is talking to his son and he often will say like, my son, my son, listen to my words. Yep. So it, it just has a biblical quality to it of you'll be a man, my son, you know, like how many of us have ever had men in our lives give us that measure of assurance where if you do these things, if you live this way, if you live the virtuous life, you'll be a man, my son. Yeah. I just love it. It just has, it is, it's such a great summary of everything. Yep. And a challenge to dads of boys, of men, if you've never shared this poem, read this poem to your son, make sure that you do. Because this is the essence of what we as men should be building our sons up to, giving them this goal of manhood to reach and an outline of what being a man is. And it's hard to find a better example than this. All right, so... To wrap things up, I think we're we're going to chat a little bit about what's coming up on the Virtuous Man podcast, right? That's right, yeah. So first thing on the docket that we wanted to reveal is that we have a upcoming season of mini pods, and it's going to have a, it's going to focus on a single theme, which is nothing we've done before. Okay, and then we'll be getting back to our roots at the uh, start of next year. We'll be releasing season four. Uh, that'll be... A little different than any one we've done before, but it'll be back to our full-length feature episodes, and I am very excited to get back to those. Yeah, we're not going to reveal anything about it other than it is maybe the most ambitious season we've ever done. All right, so thanks for joining us for this episode of Loose and Unscripted. Stay tuned for the first episode of our mini-pod season coming out Monday of next week. Scott, pleasure as always. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. There we go. The pleasure yeah. is all mine, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Hoggy likes. <laughs>